0: Welcome to another episode of Lockdown Blackhawks, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Your team every day. First, just wanted to say thank you to everyone out there for making the show your first listen each and every day. And a reminder that you can check out Lockdown Blackhawks hundred percent for free wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Joining me now to talk about everything Blackhawks as we have officially entered the second half of the NHL regular season and are starting to inch closer to the. Ever so important trade deadline is none other than Blackhawks insider for NBC Sports Chicago, Charlie Rumeli-Otis. Charlie is always fun to get together to do this, brother. How are you doing tonight?
1: Yeah, I know it's been a while since we last talked, but it's good to do this. By the way, I'm loving this setup. You got like a bottom line here. This is this is sweet. Wells Far- Blackhawks Flyers at Wells Fargo Arena, 6 p.m. puck drop. This is really cool. We got we got to get this on ours.
0: StreamYard is the setup, man. I got to say, I switched to StreamYard a few months ago and it's got the full backdrop. I love the ticker across the bottom. It's a sweet setup. I'm really happy with how it's it's looking.
1: We actually do ours. We record our Blackhawks podcast on StreamYard too. And it could be a little bit tricky for people that haven't used it yet because I don't think it works on like Safari, right? I think you have to use Google Chrome or Firefox. So But once you get into it, you're like, man, I don't know how we use Zoom for all this time.
0: Dude, I I actually (laughs) couldn't believe it. It's like, how did I record a show before this? Uh, It's wild. But what also is wild, Charlie, is that we're already halfway through the NHL regular season. The Blackhawks have played 42 games this year. We got a lot to talk about here on the show. You ready to dive right into it? Let's do it. So we're recording this here on Wednesday night prior to the Blackhawks playing the Philadelphia Flyers out in Philadelphia, and they actually have won four of their last five games. They finished their seven-game homestand with a winning record, Uh, and that was a nice change of pace, Charlie, because November and December undoubtedly was tough to watch this team night in and night out. Uh, And now, though, we're in this weird pocket, as we kind of talked about prior to recording, where, (laughs) yes, it's nice to get the wins, but we we don't want them winning too much. It's an interesting spot where the Blackhawks are in right now. They're second to last in the NHL standings. All in all, though, I, I think it is undoubtedly a good spot for the Blackhawks to be sitting in as frustrating as it has been to watch this team. How do you feel about the Blackhawks and the spot they're in right now? Looking forward to the 2023 NHL draft through the first 42 games.
1: Yeah. So obviously it was a really tough first half of the season. I think like you had mentioned, it was like November, I want to say November 3rd or 12th or something somewhere around there and on they had won like two games in 25 games. And it was just, especially a guy that like covers a team and has to go inside the locker room and have to ask these guys questions. Like it was definitely, uh, it was a challenging stretch where, you know, they're losing, but you know what I it, like, it, it felt like they were still very positive, uh, even watching practices and the guys joking around and playing the game of Tupac and, and whatever it is. It, it felt like they never really uh, got off track as far as uh, mentally, or at least they didn't really show it. So I think that's been a, a massive difference between um, this year's team and last year's team. But yeah, the fact that they have been able to rattle off uh, four or five wins here as of late. Um, and kind of close out the homestand on a, on a positive note is encouraging for them. And just, just for the morale of the locker room, you know, it's just, everyone's a little bit lighter and they can kind of go to bed. Cause I'm sure you can, you take home those losses. Um, and so the fact that they can kind of, you know, let their shoulders down a little bit, knowing that they're on some sort of good run, um, is encouraging. But Although I will say on the flip side, I'm sure fans are, it's funny. It's funny, Jack, because I, I post After every Blackhawks win, I post on my Instagram uh, if they win at home. I like I just post a W, um, and the picture of them celebrating. And it's funny to see the reactions. Like all of them are just like L L L because it's like they know Connor Bedard is the goal, right? So it's funny that the the people in the building want Ws, but then you know then you look at the standings after each win, and you're like, oh no, Columbus surpassed Chicago in in the Bedard sweepstakes. So it's just funny how there's like a little wrestle going on between uh, Blackhawks fans.
0: Yeah, I definitely feel that too Uh, on Twitter. Whenever it seems to be winning, there are people who are like, they need to be losing every night. And it's this weird situation where I feel like, in four months, we've seen both ends of the spectrum. Like there were people who were upset about the Blackhawks going into this rebuild. And now there are people upset with them winning any game. It's like, well, what's, what side do you want them to be on here? And in the middle is where we've been in the law for the longest time. And that's, what's led to being into this position. So yeah, it is a weird spot for the Blackhawks to be in.
1: Do you want to um, know what I think is, is part of the reason though, is I, I feel like, a lot of fans, and even myself included, we never really got to see Conor Bedard. It was all we just we just heard about him. But watching the World Juniors and seeing how dominant he was, I think it put uh, it, it was able to put things into perspective. Or like fans can now associate with who Conor Bedard is as a player, how dynamic he can be, and now it's like fans are excited about the possibility. But prior to the World Juniors, it, it was basically you heard about Bedard and how good he is, but you didn't really see it. Like nobody really knew. And so now I think that's gotten Chicago fans really excited about the possibility of him potentially coming to Chicago if they win the lottery.
0: I absolutely agree. Him doing it on that big of a stage, really, I think, set, it hit home with the fans who maybe were still a little bit unfamiliar and what sure what the actual prize was of being the worst team in the NHL. Uh, but Charlie, you referenced how this Blackhawks locker room has kind of had a, a good vibe despite the team being at the bottom of the standings and have been there for the last two months. Now I wanted to ask you about how much of an impact you think Luke Richardson has had on that and also his impact on the ice so far because it feels like it's a really tough year to gauge exactly how well he's doing from behind the bench, considering, you know, the roster that he was given was subpar and clearly the intentions were to finish where they're at right now. Um, I don't feel like anyone out there is blaming Richardson for the losses or anything. I think that would be a little outrageous, but uh, talk to me about how you think his impact in the locker room has kept this Blackhawks team up. And also what have you, seen, liked, disliked about his abilities from behind the bench thus far.
1: Yeah, he's been a, a massive breath of, of fresh air for this Blackhawks team. And what's crazy about Luke Richardson is I remember when the Blackhawks were doing their head coaching search in the offseason, um, I put together, a, uh, it was like 10 potential candidates to be the next Blackhawks permanent head coach. And I did not even have Luke Richardson on the list because he was just, he was, he wasn't even on the radar as guys that were potentially being discussed as a, um, as a potential head coach, just in general, like the next guy in waiting. And when the Blackhawks hired him, you know, you kind of had to do your research on him and then fast forward to now, or just, you know, the, the first few months of the season, my first thought is what took so long for the hockey world to realize like how good of a coach he is. I mean, he, he's so calm and so, uh, measured. And I think the thing that to kind of encapsulate Luke Richardson, just in general, uh, you know, we, we were talking about the, the Jonathan Taves sit down interview that I did the other day. And I asked him about Luke Richardson specifically towards the end of the interview. And he said, you know, there are times on the bench where I'm very an animated about a, a call or a play or whatever. And, and then he'll look back and he'll look at Luke Richardson and Taze basically said, sometimes I wonder if Luke even saw what I saw, but that, but that's his personality. And, and I think it, it reinforces the idea that um, players really, they tend to take the, um, the, the DNA of the head coach, right? Like if the D- if the, if the head coach is measured and calm, they take on that personality too. And I think that's what we're seeing with this Blackhawks team. And I think it really helps too the fact that he has so much NHL playing experience. Like he was so well-respected as a player Um, that I think it really like he can walk into a locker room and immediately command that respect, but also he commands that respect or, or, or has that respect because he's so when he's, when he's on the whiteboard or when he's talking, he's speaking in confidence and he's speaking as a guy that has played. Um, So I I just think he's been a real positive influence for the, for this Blackhawks team. And I, I, I could, I could see what Kyle Davidson saw in Luke being a guy that could lead the Blackhawks through a rebuild, but also be the head coach when the Blackhawks are on the other side of it.
0: Yeah. And I thought it was a really cool clip that was shared the other day to kind of, Tell you about the type of leader that Luke Richardson is The the situation where he explained to the media about Tyler Johnson and that yeah. whole situation for Blackhawks fans who haven't seen it. I'm sure you can go look it up on Twitter, but it was just kind of a cool explanation of Luke Richardson and how he backtracks and handles situations and, and handles players and wants to make sure that, you know, he's communicating in, in situations even where he feels like he might not have done the right thing. Off the ice, um, I've been really thrilled with Luke Richardson. Uh, on the ice, I think he's done a lot of good things to put players in situations and to give them opportunities. My my one critique, and I feel like this is kind of the only critique about the Blackhawks roster this year, has been the Ian Mitchell situation. And I really wanted to get your, your thoughts on this because it, it just kind of feels like Ian Mitchell, even when he's been performing better since his last call-up, I think it was in early December, He's still not regularly getting into the lineup. I believe he's been scratched each of the last three games now. What do you what do you think about the handling of, of Ian Mitchell? And I also wanted to ask you, there's kind of been some rumblings that maybe the Blackhawks already have their mind made up on him. And with a lot of defensemen expected to come through the system the next few years, he just kind of might be an odd man out. What do you feel about this whole situation with Ian Mitchell right now?
1: Yeah, so the way I see it is... The Blackhawks really are trying to use Rockford this year to develop their younger players, right? So we, we saw it with Lucas Reichel. They want him playing top-line minutes on the first power play, just playing in all situations down in Rockford. And I think the same goes for their defensemen. They want the, the defensemen that they're grooming to be permanent NHL players down the road. They want them playing in Rockford. They don't necessarily want them playing in the AHL. So when it comes to Ian Mitchell, it's easy to say, okay, if Ian's not if if Ian is basically being the seventh defenseman in Chicago, well why don't you just send him back to Rockford and let him play those top 4 minutes down there so he can continue to develop? The fact that he's not makes me feel like the I don't want to say the Blackhawks have made their made up their minds about him, but it makes me feel like he's probably not going to be a player that's here for the long term. You know, and and I think too of look at the defensemen that Kyle Davidson uh, has brought in. It's been guys like Jack Johnson, uh, Jared Tenorti, big physical defensemen um, in front of their net, right? It's not the underside. Like Stan Bowman had drafted a lot of those undersized puck moving defensemen. It feels like Kyle Davidson wants defensemen to play, to be hard to play against, be difficult in front of your own net. Now I think the, the ideal defenseman is a guy that could do both like be offensive, but also be hard to play against. And it's hard to find that, you know, like Seth Jones is obviously one of those players that could do both. Um, But I think when it, when it's all said and done, they're, they're gearing towards the bigger physical type defenseman. I just don't think Ian Mitchell fits that mold. And so I would not be surprised if the Blackhawks do move on from him um, and kind of give him a change of scenery because then it, then it opens up a spot too on the roster, both in Rockford and on the Blackhawks. To give to someone else that they can, you know, give more ice time to that. That could potentially be part of the future.
0: So just just for the sake of conversation, as of right now, you you would guess the Blackhawks wouldn't bring back Ian Mitchell as an RFA this summer.
1: Well, I I think they they could potentially look to maybe trade him at the deadline. Like if he's a guy, like I think back, you know, what was the there was a minor there was a minor league swap last year that I'm I'm brain farting on right now. But is it uh, Chad Chris? Yep. Uh, Chad, Chris for, it was a, it was a minor league swap. Like it was a, um, it was like AHL for AHL player. It might, it might've been Chad, Chris. Um, but it was basically like, he's not in our plans, you know, and then the other player, the other AHL player was not in their plans So let's just do a little swap and, you know, you take a chance on our guy and, and we'll take a chance on your guy. We'll see where it comes at the end of the season. And then we can reevaluate, um, you know, so I think that's where it, and maybe you do right by Ian too, by by kind of working with him, saying like, "Hey, like, you know, what, what would you want here? Um, you know, do you want a, an, You want us to look for an opportunity for you? Like, I, I think it, that that could potentially play its way out. But it is, you know, I'm kind of disappointed in in uh, because I thought Ian Mitchell would be a, a really good NHL player. Not not maybe like a a uh, an or a, like a a top four kind of guy, but maybe like a, a tweener between the second and third. Hair kind of defensive I and mean, that can move the puck be offensive, um, but you know I I think about it this too like I think Ian Mitchell he he probably thrives to um, quarterbacking a power play and the Blackhawks have Kevin Korczynski in the pipeline and they also have Seth Jones so where would Ian be playing down the road on the first power play he's probably not so if he's not going to be in a situation where he can thrive you know it just pro- it probably makes sense to just cut bait trade him or. You know, wherever at least get some assets for him if you can, you know, and then and then revisit in the summer.
0: Yeah, another guy that came to mind was Nicholas Bodan getting traded earlier in the season, kind of a a similar situation like that. I think that's
1: who I'm thinking of. Yep. Yeah, Yeah.
0: that would make sense. But but yeah, yeah, it it just feels like um, my my one concern is just defensemen. They take a little longer, and I think I'm a little bit scarred because of Gustav Forsling. That would be my one concern. (laughs) I would just. In a year, again, this is all just sake for argument. I'm not battling against you or anything, but it, it just feels like this would be one heck of a year to throw him out there and figure out for sure if he's part of the puzzle or not.
1: Yeah, and I, I think the challenge would be who who would you play him? Because they, they have Seth Jones and Connor Murphy on the right side. You Jack know, Johnson's so like,
0: played every game. Jack Johnson's played every game.
1: Right, but that he's on the left side. So I, if you're, you know... Ian, I guess you would have to move Connor Murphy to the left.
0: He has played the left side before.
1: Yeah, but maybe what if you're what if you're also trying to potentially showcase some of these guys like Jake McCabe and Connor Murphy to see if you can get more assets for them at the trade deadline where you're putting them in situations. So yeah, it's it's a good question though. I'm not I'm not even battling back and forth. I just think you know at some point too. I think the Blackhawks are also encouraged by their defensive pipeline right now, like Ethan Mastro, like how 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 great he played at the world juniors. And then they got Kevin Korczynski, and you know, they got Sam result, Sam Renzel down the road at some point, like they have these guys that could potentially be some players. Uh, Isaac Phillips too has been, has been pretty solid. So I I think it's probably easier for them to cut bait with a player that is more undersized. Like Ian really has to work to be able to make an impact when he's, you know, five foot 11 or so at the NHL level. So I think that's probably the the thinking there.
0: Yeah. I, I understand that too. Uh, you, you mentioned a moment ago, kind of the Blackhawks really um, really focused, the Blackhawks organization as a whole being focused on what they have going on down in Rockford right now. It's been pretty clear that's been a priority of theirs all season long. And uh, a big storyline that just happened last weekend, of course, was Lucas Reichel getting reassigned to the Rockford IceHogs after a three-game stint and which he played up on the top line, looked really good in all three games. Um, but you know again they're clearly valuing what they have in Rockford and they want him to be the guy down there. What did you think about that decision uh, and what did you like about Reichel in this stint in particular?
1: Yeah, so I've got to be honest and I feel like I might be on an island here, but I I actually don't mind the decision to let him play the rest of the season or the majority of the season in Rockford. The one thing I will say is I I didn't like the timing of it and I know it was Patrick Kane was coming back and the, the ice time was going to be a little bit more, um, you know, like R- Reichel wasn't going to get that kind of ice time because Patrick Kane was going to be taking over the the first PowerPoint, you know, whatever the power play time and the shifts after a penalty kill, like that's all going to go to Patrick Kane. My, my issue with Reichel in the NHL was that he was just never put on the first power play unit. Like I didn't understand that. Um, even last year, I, I, I could see why they didn't put him on the first unit in his brief stints because there was Patrick Kane and Patrick Kane plays the right face-off circle. That's where Ryko plays in Rockford or even on the left face-off circle if he played his offside, Alex Debrinkett was there. So what are you going to do? Put Reichel in the slot or like be the net front guy? Like it just didn't make sense. Right. This year, there, there was really no excuse for him not to just see time on the first power play, especially with Patrick Kane out. So that was my, my big concern. Um, here's the thing. Could Reichel play in the NHL right now and be an impact type player? I, I, I definitely think so. Yeah. My bigger concern with these prospects is when you bring them up to the NHL and they are permanent NHL players, you can't. It's, it's really hard to course correct if you keep him in the NHL and maybe he's just trying to he's fighting to stay above water. And then you have to send him back down like next year because then you've, you've maybe already lost him. Like, I think, I think, um, there are a few examples that popped into my mind today when we were at practice, but like even watching Buffalo, Tage Thompson, he spent, he bounced up and down the AHL and NHL for four years before he really became a permanent NHL player. Um, even another guy on that team, Peyton Krebs, I know he started his, his year era. He started uh, his career in Vegas. He was drafted in the Kirby doc draft of, I think it was like 12th or some, somewhere in that range in the mid first round range he didn't spend enough time in the HL and he's still trying to find his way in the NHL. And, and if you send him to, to the HL now, it's kind of like he's played, he's played so many games at the NHL level, not so many games, but he's played enough games at the, in the, at the NHL level where a demotion to the AHL would, would, I don't know how that would sit well with his confidence. So, and then the last guy I was thinking of is, is Cole Sillinger. Like I, he was a healthy scratch for Columbus the other day. He, he was, I mean, they, they put him into the NHL right away. And he was supposed to be a breakout player this year. And he has just not, he just hasn't made an impact and he's averaging like 12 or 13 minutes of ice time. So you can do more harm than good rushing a player to the NHL, um, as opposed to letting them over marinate in, in, in the AHL. And the last thing I'll say is too, like, I, I think a big reason why I am a proponent of Reichel staying in Rockford is how, the, the history that the Blackhawks have had in rushing those prospects, Adam Bokwis and Kirby Dock. I know Kirby Dock's situation was a little bit different because he, he was ineligible to play in the HL because of the CHL contract. But it just felt like he kind of stuck around in Chicago because the Blackhawks were going for it that year. And he was one of the best 12 forwards. So, you know, they felt he, he, he helped that team at that current moment. So I know it's not maybe what fans want to hear, Um, and and Lucas Reichel finally gave this team a little bit of excitement and became a little bit more watchable, but I don't think anyone is going to complain about letting him over marinate in Rockford. I am not worried about his confidence being affected. If anything, um, Jack, I, I think that how successful he was at the NHL level in those three games, just really dominating Arizona, um, And, you know, even even Calgary, the next game, I feel like he's going back down to Rockford with a weight lifted off his shoulders, knowing like, okay, finally, the points came when I was playing in the NHL. Now, let me take care of business down here. And then when I come back up, I know that I can produce at that level.
0: Yeah, I definitely think getting that first NHL goal, getting the monkey off his shoulders, if you will, did him some good. But I, I feel like there's really not a wrong decision here. I would probably yes, agree that, again, he's only 20 years old. He looks amazing. He's only 20. The Blackhawks are in absolutely no rush. Let him go be the guy down in Rockford. He's, you know, if anything, he would be like, Oh, I could do this in the NHL, You know, <laughs> put, put a little more confidence in him. Um, but another thing that, well, you actually wrote up an article about this was you, you talked about how Lucas Reichel may potentially be a winger at the NHL level instead of being a center. Can you talk a little bit more about that too, for those listeners out there that may not have read that article?
1: Yeah, I think, I think he's just got a higher ceiling on the wing than he does at center. And it, we should put this into perspective too. Like the Blackhawks actually drafted him as a winger. Like he was the left-wing yeah. guy. And then when he got re- reassigned to his German team and he was playing in the German league, his German team actually put him at center. And that was his first year playing center in his career. And he, w- he was playing really well there. And so I think when he came back over to uh, North America for, for the first time, when the Blackhawks got him over, they they just said okay let's continue him can, continue playing him at center and let him develop his game as uh, as a, as a two way centerman uh, and but I think we saw in his in his brief stint with Chicago with the Blackhawks he looks so much better on the wing like he he could be more offensive he can create a little bit more um, he doesn't really have to think too defensive right because uh, the center is going to take a lot of that responsibility however I do like the fact that the Blackhawks are still developing him as a center because you, you still want him to develop those two-way habits, right? You don't want him to, to just think offensive, offensive, offensive. You still want him to, to think the game on a defensive-type level too. So I, And I think that's going to pay dividends down the road um, for Lucas Reichel. But yeah, I, I absolutely think he should be a winger in the NHL. His ceiling is much higher um, there than it is at center.
0: Charlie moving on I hate to do it dude got to ask <laughs> me about Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze I know you had a, a lovely sit down one on one with Jonathan Taze the other day by the way um but it's it's getting towards that time we're starting to, we're in 2023 we're creeping towards the deadline Pat Boyle obviously had the sit down with Patrick Kane recently we, we've heard talks that their agent Pat Brisson is going to talk with uh, the front office and they're probably going to have a talk to here sometime relatively soon. Do you, do you think these two have their minds made up at this point? Do you think they're they're still weighing it out? What do, what do you think they're going through right now? Or what idea did you get based on your sit down with tapes?
1: Yeah. Every time I feel like I get all breed on the situation, I my mind changes the next day. So I gotta be honest, I legitimately don't feel like either one of them have truly made up their minds. I think they might be leaning one way and lean like leaning another. I thought Jonathan Taze in my interview with him, the most no- noteworthy thing he said, not most noteworthy, but one of the things that kind of stuck out to me was when he says, he's like the dominant thought in my mind changes on a day-to-day basis. So like one day he might be thinking, I don't wanna be part of this. Like, what am I doing? You know. And then another day he might think, Man, I have it so good here. Like I, I you know, I want to spend finish my career here in Chicago. Continue being the captain. You know, I don't want to move everything. So, I genuinely don't think either of them have made up their minds. Now, I, I'll, I'll say this. I think what could be happening is because there's so much uncertainty about who could be interested and who could actually fit both of them into their caps or each of them into their caps. I, I like I wonder if that their agent is kind of doing some behind the scenes legwork on okay, who could be interested in Patrick Kane or who could be interested in Jonathan Taves? If if this if they are interested, what how realistic is it that they could go there? Like, would they be able to sign them to extensions if they if they want that? Like, I think those conversations potentially could be happening behind the scenes. And then once we get closer to the trade deadline, or when Kyle and Pat Person and Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, they all sit down. I think that's when you know they'll be pitched the opportunities. Like, okay, here are a few teams that are are interested. They could make they could make it work on the cap. They also have room, or they don't have room to to fit you in beyond this season. And then Patrick and Jonathan can make a decision on what they want to do. Right. So, I, I honestly don't think either of them have made a decision one way or another. But I think the you know the the potential groundwork is being laid behind the scenes, and then. Once they really have to make a decision, then they're going to kind of huddle up maybe with their families and, you know, uh, in the close inner circle and decide what to do.
0: Yeah, I I would think it would make sense for Paperson to kind of be laying the groundwork here just because there are so many complications that go into trading these two. The no movement clause, the cap hit, no one has any money right now in the post-COVID salary (laughs) cap world of uh, figuring out whether or not they're going to be able to offer extensions. Do Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves want to move, you know, three times within five, six months, something to consider with these guys at their age too. Mark Andre Fleury, obviously like didn't really want to be moving around too much at this point in his career. You have to wonder how much that's impacting Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane, but it is going to be a, a fascinating scenario even, you know, as a true Blackhawks fan, it could be a very sad couple of months coming up. Uh, It is going to be a fascinating scenario to see how it all plays out. I am curious though, Charlie, do you have like any teams in your mind that would make sense if these guys were wanting to get traded just for the sake of conversation?
1: Yeah, I think the obvious one for Kane is New York, the Rangers. I mean, they make sense for, for so many different reasons one, the fact that Kane can just reunite with Panarin and there can be like, he doesn't even have to skip a beat. I know they haven't played with each other in a while, but they, they were on such a great wavelength that it would be easy to Kane to, to to look at that situation and be like, okay, I know who I'd be playing with. They, they need a winger. You know, they could use me offensively. They have a good team. You know, they have a lot of pieces, core pieces too. Adam Fox and, and Igor Shosturkin. Like they have some core pieces that could be there in the long run. Um, but for Chicago's point of view, they also have the assets. Um, they have multiple first-round picks. You know, the Blackhawks, they, they have what Chicago would be looking for. And, and then they have so many former first-round picks that are also maybe underperforming for them this year that Chicago could potentially take a flyer on. And then also, I, I think New York would have the cap space to make it work. It, you know, obviously, assuming the Blackhawks eat half of it. So I just feel like they check a lot of the boxes um, for Patrick Kane. For Jonathan Taves, it's interesting because are you if you're a team that's looking to acquire him, are you looking at him as your second line center or your third line center? Like I could see, like Carolina, I could see, um, you know, maybe they're a bad example, but like they they are. There's a void there to to be the second line center. Like they'll probably look at Bo Horvat. They might look at Ryan O'Reilly. But if you're maybe Colorado, that you know Jonathan Taves could be a perfect second line center there. Or if you're Boston. You know, maybe you're looking at Tays more as a third line center, and you can move. Like I know they like Charlie Coyle there, but you know, you can you can see like, oh, okay, like we can have Jonathan Tays on it as our third line center, and if we have an injury to our top six, he can jump up there. So I think that's the interesting. And Jonathan Tays even said this in in his interview. He's like, I I don't really know what opportunities will be out there because even he kind of admits that he hasn't played his best hockey in, in a little bit. Um so it's like he, he's not even sure what teams would come biting to for his services. So it's going to be fascinating to, to follow for sure going up to that March 3rd trade deadline.
0: Definitely. Boston and Colorado have the have been the two teams that have always stood out stood out to me for Jonathan Taves. but I actually just had that same debate on one of my podcasts a few days ago like if Colorado trades for him, they're probably going to want him to be that second line center cuz Newhook really hasn't been able to fill that role this year. Do you right. think they they Feel comfortable with Jonathan Taves as a second line center? Do you think he'd want to be in that spot, or do you think he'd rather be in a third line role in a wagon that is the Boston Bruins?
1: Yeah, I'm sure that's gonna that would weigh into his decision, uh, potential playing time, right? Like if he sees Colorado, he could play a second line center role in Colorado versus a third line center role in Boston. You know, he he might pick Colorado because he knows he could play a little bit of a larger role. Um, So yeah, that would also be very weird if he played for Boston, a team that the Blackhawks ousted in 2013. So, um, but all hypotheticals though right now, but it's, it's fun conversation to have because, you know, these are discussions that we, we probably will start to have in the next few weeks. And when
0: those start happening, that's uh, the second half of the season is probably not going to be very intriguing for the Blackhawks team <laughs> as a whole, other than that part. Uh, but sticking with kind of some of the, the trade conversations, Charlie, we've heard recently that Max Domi may have found a home here in Chicago and there's potential that he could resign with the Blackhawks this offseason. What have you heard on that front? And how would you think Domi fits in the long-term plans if at all, or is he just kind of a, a tweener guy for the next few years? You think,
1: I, I think he could be a really good bridge for, for the Blackhawks. Like a, a bridge guy, like he plays hard. He, he's a former first round pick. So he's, he's got the talent too. um, the problem is he, he doesn't have any no-trade protection. So if a team comes calling and they, all, they offer Kyle Davidson a, an appealing package for him or whatever, the, I mean, hey, I, like I would say to Max, I'd be like, Max, listen, you love Chicago. We love you. We want you back, maybe on a whatever, four-year deal, whatever it is. Maybe like lay some of the groundwork there. He loves playing for Luke Richardson because he had him in Montreal. But listen, we're getting a, we're, we're getting a really good package for you what we're going to trade you go try to win a cup if you want. And then in the summer, if you still feel the same way, you know, re-sign with us and we can, we can put the wheels in motion on, on that new contract. I think it's different for Patrick Kane and Jonathan Tays because they're towards the latter stages of their career. And so like it, it's, it's hard. Like a lot of people are saying, well, why don't, why don't, why doesn't Patrick Kane just wave his no movement clause, get traded and then re-sign in Chicago. It's like, well, once the bandaid is ripped off for those icons, it, it feels like it's just gone for good. Right. With yeah. Max Domi, who has bounced around his entire career, it's easy to be like, "Hey, listen, you know, we'll go out and get some assets for you. It's probably better for you too, for your career, to to go somewhere else and maybe win a cup, and then you can come back and be one of our not core pieces, but they, he could be a bridge between this year and you know maybe three to four years when the Blackhawks are are contenders again. So I think that's the way I see it. Um, if the Blackhawks get a package and like they're not going to keep. Max Domi around just because he likes it here in Chicago, like that they, they'll take the asset and then they'll revisit that in the summer.
0: Yeah, it doesn't sound like a terrible situation for Max Domi to be in right yeah. now either. Like he likes Chicago, he, he's been all smiles this season despite winning being pretty infrequent. Uh, and you know they could ship him out. Hey, go go try to get your cup. We're gonna give you a, a pretty hefty bag next <laughs> off season, especially if Kane and Taze aren't around. We got to start thinking about that salary cap floor, Charlie. So right, Domi it, could be getting a couple more bones for. It, <laughs> are helping the Blackhawks out potentially.
1: It, it's a it's a problem. I want to say a problem, but it's definitely something Chicago has to think about is getting to the floor next season, especially if Kane and Taves aren't around or if Jake McCabe is or Connor Murphy are potential pieces that get moved at the deadline. Like it, it's, that's a real thing. Yeah, I agree.
0: I wanted to ask you about some of those other pieces that could be moved at the deadline, um, and whether or not you think it's realistic to see them moved. Andreas Athanasio kind of feels like the obvious one that was probably just that was the obvious intention when they first signed him. But I, I was curious, what have you thought about? you know, some rumors of Jake McCabe, who's been really solid this year. And ever since he's been put up on the top defensive pairing with Seth Jones, those two have really been rocking. In my opinion, I want to ask you about um, McCabe. And then I've also seen Alex Stalock's name floated around there too. I don't know how serious that is, but um, just some of the other guys who could possibly get moved by the Blackhawks at the deadline. What have you heard? And what are you thinking about this situation?
1: Yeah. So I think Athanasius is interesting. He he's definitely he he can be like a game-breaker type player, but he he's very individual. Um I don't want to say he he doesn't use his teammates, but he's so skilled one, one-on-one that he can like weave through all five guys on a team and like score himself. It, it's crazy. So he can like change the the game in that way. So I'm curious to see like what the market could potentially be for him. Um Jake McCabe also, I mean, he has been by far the steadiest defenseman on the Blackhawks this season, and I wouldn't be surprised if teams are nibbling at him. There was a report earlier in the year that Edmonton was poking around. I, I think that I think all seven Canadian teams might be on his seventeen no trade list um, because he signed that contract during COVID, and there was obviously the border situation. So unless Jake feels like the world has reopened and things s- seem to have settled down. Um, I'm not sure he's going to get traded to a Canadian team or if he would want that to happen, but I, I would not be surprised if, if teams uh, come poking around for McCabe. Um, and then Alex Staylock, I also checked in on this about a week and a half ago to see if like, any, any teams have reached out to Staylock or inquired about Staylock. And there hasn't been any teams that have inquired yet, but that's because that's, that's kind of a trade that would happen closer to the trade deadline as opposed to now, and especially given his team friendly salary. Um, I think that, you know, that, that there's probably a deal that would, that would get like announced at the, at, like after the trade deadline passes. And it's like one of those things that's in the queue. Um, <laughs> but it's tough too, because he, he's back in concussion protocol. So I'm not sure if teams are going to be, yeah, if they're going to be leery about that, like it's his second concussion this season. Um, but he has been so good when he is in that, like he's legitimately been one of the best goaltenders in the league. So I wouldn't be surprised if he is one of those guys. That that does get moved for for potential future assets. The challenge would be getting a goaltender in return because you don't want to call up Arvid Soderblom just to be the backup for the last month of the season. Like Rockford is in a, they're legitimately one of the best teams in the AHL. So what are you going to do to take them away from there? Yeah. Um, so they would, probably, they would probably have to get a goalie back somehow if they were to trade Alex.
0: Where's Where's Malcolm Subban when we need him? Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, or Colin Delia.
0: Can we get him back for the uh, considerations, old old buddy future considerations out there?
1: Right, right. Or Colin Delia. He's been playing while doing (laughs) Vancouver.
0: Right, right. Uh, A couple more questions for you, Charlie, before I go and get you on out of here. I did want to ask kind of how you thought Kyle Davidson and the front office have handled the roster so far this season. Kind of a a follow-up question to what we talked about earlier and them valuing what they have in Rockford right now. Do you feel like that's the, the, the right decision? It feels like there's kind of been some back and forth where it feels like a forward prospect certainly could have come up, but they haven't really elected to go that route. How do you mm-hmm. think David has handled the roster so far in his first full season as GM?
1: I think the challenge with him is they, the Blackhawks have had so many injuries at the NHL level that he's been forced to bring guys up. Even the goaltending, obviously, with like Dylan Wells and Arvid Soderblom, and now Jackson Stauber is here. But there were injuries on the back end too. Like Isaac Phillips and Ian Mitchell are are playing here now. And Alec Regula was up earlier in the year. And I know Lucas Reichel was up here. So like there have been so many injuries to the NHL club that they've been forced to kind of bring guys up and fill the gaps. But I think if Kyle Davidson had it his way, he would like to keep those guys in Rockford to develop. Like they 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 honestly could could make a Calder Cup playoff run this year. And so I think that's way more valuable than you know, w- watching a game like Colorado or, or Calgary, where the, Calgary specifically, it felt like Calgary was just skating circles around Chicago and the Blackhawks were barely t- or, or Seattle. I mean, the, the Blackhawks barely touched the puck in that game. That's not, that's not really valuable for some prospects if they're up there and they're just spending all this time in the defensive zone. Right. So I think they want them just playing in Rockford in all situations, but also like in a more, you know, in a tight, playoff type race, you know, like that's, that could be more valuable for them too. So I I think you said the best earlier, like I don't think there is a right or wrong answer uh, when it comes to individualistic development, but I think the broader, like letting, letting Rockford be the developmental league as opposed to the NHL, like two years ago or three years ago, whatever it was, the COVID season when the Hawks just called up everyone and played all those young guys that year, like that's probably not the best for their development this year.
0: Do you think, so do you think Lucas Reichel comes back up at all, or do you think he remains down there now?
1: I think he'll be back up at some point just for like a brief stint, like if they have an injury to their top six, but I definitely think they want him, especially when we get into March, like a lot of people are saying or speculating after the March third trade deadline, if Kane and Taves aren't here, then Reichel could be up for good. And it's like, I don't know if I see that because that's the last month of the HL season. Like, what do you want him playing those meaningful games? So At some point, maybe he will get a few more games, but I still think he's going to spend the majority of the year in Rockford.
0: I also wanted to ask about your thoughts on the prospect pool as a whole right now, because after just one draft with Kyle Davidson, there are certainly more prospects, particularly in the forward group than we've seen in in quite some time. And a lot of them have looked good with their respected junior clubs or with their collegiate programs and whatnot. Uh, Are there any prospects in particular that you've kind of found yourself high on at this point? Because I know for me, I've I've already made some connections, even though I've only seen these kids at one development camp.
1: The one guy I'm really intrigued about and it's the guy that hasn't played all year is Frank Nazar. Like he could be he could be the wild card of the Blackhawks prospect pool. Where if he's like a really good second line center, he could he could change how the Bla- yeah. how we see the Blackhawks future, right? So I think that's a guy that I'm real I wish he play I wish he was able to play in the World Juniors. The fact that he didn't was really without that was tough for the Blackhawks. I know Ryan Green is having a really good year in Boston too. Um, yeah, they, they have such a, a strong prospect pool right now that I think it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. But Frank Nazar, that's the guy I'm really intrigued about for Chicago.
0: Very unfortunate that he hasn't been able to play for Michigan so far this season. I know a lot of people were stoked to see what he was going to be able to do there with Adam Fantilli. Right. Um, Charlie, final question I have for you. I'm putting you on the spot right here right okay. now.
1: let's hear it. When
0: it's all said and done. Do the Blackhawks land Connor Bedard in the 2020 Oof. NHL
1: Draft? Uh this is tough because I don't want to jinx it. I know because I and, don't want to say yes or no. James, I'm going to say if they finish dead last, they will. If they don't, they won't. I'll just play the odds. How's that?
0: <laughs> fair <laughs> enough, fair <laughs> enough. I'm going to say though, if they if they do land number number one, I'll be there in Nashville. Drink on me in Nash. I know it's probably. Gonna it. be Let's a-
1: do it. I'll, I'll see, see you there. there.
0: But drink on me if the Blackhawks land Bedard number one overall.
1: I love it. I'll see you there for sure.
0: Charlie, thank you so much again for taking the time to hop on the show, man. I really appreciate you doing this for me. Lots of fun as always and looking forward to the next one. Let's make sure it's not as long as this last gap was.
1: Let's do it, Jack. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you and you continue to do good work on this podcast. So much love.
0: Thank you for the kind words, sir. Charlie Romeliotis, everyone. Blackhawks insider for NBC Sports Chicago. If you're not already following him on Twitter and all social medias, what are you doing? Go and check out <laughs> his daily coverage on the Chicago Blackhawks and also for the best hair on the Blackhawks. We oh, oh, throw that on in there for you. Uh, thank you to everyone out there again for listening to another episode of Locked Blackhawks. A reminder, check out the show 100% for free on YouTube. Go and subscribe to the channel. I'd really appreciate it. Until next time, folks, thank you again.